0: Sorry, I can hear my mum laughing downstairs. I
1: I can hear your mum laughing too. Oh,
0: God's sake. Hey guys, welcome back to Merlisten, a bi-weekly podcast about BBC's Merlin, where we talk about the show, the ships, the fandom, and the characters. As always, I'm Miss Snowfox. And I'm always Mumotastic. And uh, we're back today with another episode review, which we've really enjoyed doing, especially since we've kind of shaken up the format a bit uh, for these recently by doing them in chronological order. So, yeah, we're really enjoying that. And I hope you guys are, too. Uh, But before we get into that, uh, we have some admin to get through. So go ahead, Moima. Yes, let's hear some news.
1: Several news from the Arwen community. They have a Discord now. We will link to the invite on our blog, but you can also check on Tumblr on the blog the-dash-dash-pendragons for the link. In relation to that, the same blog is hosting a Merlin rewatch. Check it out on their Tumblr for more information. And finally, their Arwen Anniversary Festival is now open for sign-ups and prompt donation. Check out their post on Tumblr for more information on how to participate in this festival. And moving on to one other piece of news... There's going to be a Merlin Writers Appreciation Month run throughout November. The goal is to promote new writers, lesser-known writers and fakes, WIPs, and long-time favorites. The link to the post with more information can be found on our blog. Alright, and that was it for news. Also, for any of the people who actually pay attention to the things we say on our podcast, and <laughs> <laughs> to what we say when we announce next week's episodes... This is obviously not the coin recap episode that we promised at the end of the Bradley uh, podcast episode because we had a tech failure and couldn't save the recording of that episode, which is very sad because we had two amazing guests who were Taya and Bonnie who shared really great stories with us from the convention. And now we can't share them with you because things were fucked
0: up. Indeed. However, we feel like um, uh, myself and Momo decided not to re-record this episode because we felt upon reflection that the way that the episode was structured anyway... um, Didn't really leave much enjoyment for an outside perspective. So even though we were very much having fun sharing stories of what we did, what was said, the fun things that we were doing, um, it didn't really give much of a recap of what actually <laughs> happened which was a failing on our part and I'm sure I would have been very cross with myself anyway listening back to the episode thinking we didn't actually give any indication as to what happened at coin a lot too <laughs> so um, there yeah. were yeah we felt that and also we felt just re-recording it with a new kind of script would just feel uh not as genuine uh, yeah. as the first time so um, even
1: just trying to even just trying to recapture what we said in in the first recording like even without restructuring it just trying to redo it it just wouldn't have been as genuine or authentic as it was the first time around because we already heard the stories
0: and yeah, yeah fortunately but we hope that you know the content that we're going to be posting to our tumblr and uh the content we're going to be posting to our instagram will kind of give everyone an idea of what happened and obviously keep an eye on all the con reports um hopefully there'll be uh lots of fun kind of you know catch up things that will be written on tumblr so yeah keep an eye out for those but um yeah, we're well, sorry about that. But for those of you that were curious as to what actually happened during the con, you probably wouldn't have gotten the answer from <laughs> from the Merlison. <laughs> no, so, not. It's,
1: it's in- honestly better you go and read a couple of the con reports, Reblock 2, the lot Tumblr. Exactly. So that's going to give you a much better idea.
0: For anyone that uh, is really interested in a, in a thorough kind of breakdown of what happened, for those of you that couldn't be there... But I don't mind, uh, on reflection, to kind of sit down and and rack through my memory and do kind of like a day by day, like you know, synopsis of what happened. Any funny things I can remember, things like that. Definitely uh, something akin to what I did for Coin a Lot One, although I was only in. I was just an attendee. I wasn't actually an organizer, but I kind of wrote a day by day. This happened and this happened and something, something. So if, if there are people that want to try and rely on my memory to do that, then I can do it. Just come let me know. And with all our
1: sorrow over not delivering the thing that we promised we would deliver, we now will go into the thing that we are actually going to do, which is the episode review for Labyrinth of Gedref. And, Rox, why don't you read us the summary from the Merlin Vicky? Yeah, sure.
0: So, this is the summary for the Labyrinth of Gidreth. When Arthur is out on a hunting trip with Merlin, he kills a unicorn. He takes its horn to Uther, who is impressed and proud of Arthur. But Merlin doesn't agree. Gaius tells Uther about a legend, according to which whoever kills a unicorn will be cursed, but Uther ignores him. Yet Arthur soon finds out he actually brought a curse upon Camelot. Camelot is soon plagued by both famine and drought, and time is short for the curse to be lifted. The mysterious Anhora, Keeper of the Unicorns, tells Arthur that he is responsible for bringing the famine to Camelot because he killed a unicorn, and that he is the one who has to lift the curse. Arthur will be tested three times, and unless he makes amends for killing the unicorn, Camelot will be doomed forever. Wow.
1: Did someone take a telly? Like, for this one, take a shot every time someone says curse.
0: Or unicorn. Or
1: unicorn, honestly. it's If if you want to make this into a drinking game, every time someone says curse or unicorn, take a shot. Just for the summary alone, you'll be drunk. <laughs> I will. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a lightweight. <laughs> Alright, so this episode first aired on the 30th of November in 2008. There were two female characters with lines. I, I think they're actually, yeah, really the only two female characters overall, who are Morgana and Gwen. <laughs> um, We have six male characters, who are Arthur, Merlin, Gaius, and Uther, and then also... Unhora, and Evan, and the enemy or months of the week is not really. We don't really have one unless you count Arthur's rash decisions and pride. I'm gonna get into this, <laughs> don't you worry. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you Arthur, like right at the beginning, like that's a, that's even that's not a that's not a spoiler. That's in the summary. Arthur kills one creature, and it is the unicorn. So. We have a creature, a new creature in this episode, so I want to get in some tiny creatureology here about unicorns. And, uh, I mean, this is like my five-minute Wikipedia research skills at work again. Unicorns have been present even in ancient myths and have always been described as a beast with a single large pointed, spiraling horn projecting from their foreheads. And even the Bible mentions unicorn-like creatures, for example. And they show up in in Greek myths and all around the world, really. And in Europe, they used to be depicted as a white horse-like or goat-like animal, which I find interesting. (laughs) Just imagine a unicorn that
0: looks like a goat. (laughs) (laughs) Not as nice, really.
1: And then in the Middle Ages, it started... Like unicorns started to represent purity and grace and it was said that unicorns could only be captured by virgins and it was also said that the horn of a unicorn could turn poisoned water pure and heal sicknesses and then there was a practice where narwhal tusks were sometimes sold as unicorn horns like they would sell the horn of a narwhal and tell the, the buyer that it's a unicorn horn. And then I did a little because uh, unicorns obviously do show up in the Harry Potter verse, and uh, I own two copies of Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. <laughs> so, of course, I went to read in that one. And um, according to that book, you always ought to treat unicorns with respect, which I think is only right. Like even that's not just Merlin, uh, Harry Potter specific like just treat unicorns with respect feels about, feels about right. And other than that the fantastic beast and where to find him doesn't really tell us anything we don't already know about unicorns in general. Like unicorn is a beautiful beast found throughout the forests of northern Europe. It is a pure white horned horse when fully grown Though the foals are initially golden and turn silver before achieving maturity, I feel like that's a that's a Harry Potter verse thing. The golden foals, I don't think that's well. Canon is not quite the word I'm looking for, but <laughs> I don't think that's a widely accepted head canon about unicorns. Yeah. Uh, the unicorn's horn, blood, and hair all have highly magical properties. It generally avoids human contact. And then, in Harry Potter specific, it is more likely to allow a witch to approach it than a wizard and is so fleet of foot that it is very difficult to capture. So, that is... I wonder if that is the Potterverse's own take on only pure people can approach unicorns, where it's like only... like witches are more likely to be able to touch unicorns than than wizards.
0: Maybe. Or maybe it's a uh a commentary on you know especially in middle age law there would be a much higher vo- number of uh virgins who are women than who are men i imagine maybe because of stigma attached i i guess maybe there's something in that but it's mm. interesting for sure
1: yeah, so the obvious parallels to, to Merlin obviously are that killing a unicorn results in a curse. In Harry Potter, it is that anyone who drinks the blood of a unicorn is uh, like cursed to live a half-life. And in Merlin, it's... Well, I'm not entirely sure on what, what the curse exactly would be in Merlin. I, I guess we're going to get into that a little bit when we talk about the actual episode, but... Like, just thinking about this, imagine if Arthur hadn't been the prince of Camelot who killed the unicorn. Imagine it had been, like, I don't know, John Peters, you know, the farmer, <laughs> and he had he had killed a unicorn. Then probably his crops also would have died, but what if it's been someone someone who doesn't grow crops or anything? Like, how would they have been cursed for killing a unicorn and so i wondered if maybe it was supposed to be that the curse destroys what's important to you it must be but well i'm sure we're gonna get into that when we talk about the show uh, about this episode how that's with our standing characterization of Arthur, that's not entirely true, is it?
0: <laughs> well, I mean, just you saying that has kind of put a different perspective on this episode for me that I never had until right now, because, yeah, in theory, it could have been anyone, but it was Arthur that killed the unicorn, and I believe that Gaius says something about how, oh, A, there are very few unicorns left in the world, but also you were extremely lucky to have seen one, and I wonder if the kind of fatalistic law of this universe kind of allowed them to be in the right place at the right time for Arthur to kill this unicorn in order to help aid in his destiny to become a better person.
1: Ooh. Okay.
0: That is determinism. Well, because oh, nice. I have a note about this in the scene uh, between, like, where, like, like for the final test, I okay, have like a little. Okay. So yeah, but it, but yeah, it's just like a little tidbit. But I guess we can kind of, uh, if you, I mean, if you have any more notes on your on your unicorn stuff, no, or are you nope, nope, all can... unicorned out? Um, all <laughs> unicorned out. Well, because. So I'm just going to, um, my overall thoughts, I will keep to the end, but uh, I just have an introductory thought, I'll call it, about this episode, Okay. which I will say, re-watching it now twice in the last couple of months, once for Merlison and once with a friend, I have noticed that it, for me, doesn't fit, once again, chronologically, <laughs> in the timeline. <laughs> just for a couple of reasons. A, Arthur is just way too much of a dick coming off the back of the moment of truth. He's just yes. too much of a dick. Yes. He really is. This is the kind of, these are the kinds of lessons he should be learning earlier in the season. And it just, there's something about, uh, there's so much mirth there in this episode that it makes me feel like it should have come earlier. Like this was one of those episodes that was meant to kind of solidify them as like the main pairing dynamic of the show because there is a lot of them like they are in nearly every scene and even little things like again i'll get to it but arthur makes a comment about how you should you know never trust a word a sorcerer says and i'm just like considering that chronologically this come off the back of maybe a week or two after merlin's just lost his best friend who was accused of being a sorcerer and he wouldn't let arthur speak to him like that Yes, exactly. Okay. And Arthur,
1: at this point, Arthur has already like coming off of moment of truth. Arthur has learned that at least Will, for example, was a sorcerer. He was willing to give his life for Arthur. Exactly. You know, and so, or I mean, to be fair, it was an accident that he gave his life for Arthur. But still,
0: he did give Why his life s- for Arthur. Say that, like he I did mean... jump in front of an arrow for him. Like he, you know. But uh, unfortunately for me, as much as I love this episode and I and I do really enjoy it, it's one of those that I there's so much to unpack in this episode. But the problem is, is that this episode makes no sense because Arthur, who is a hunter who is out in the forest hunting for things, kills a unicorn with no knowledge that anything could happen to him as a result he's cursed and is tested to break the curse and he's told this is in relation to him just killing an animal which for him is a normal thing it's not something that makes him a bad person it just so happens he got unlucky with this particular animal it's not until the very last scene that we're told why this has anything to do with the unicorn that if you kill a unicorn you have to prove that you're pure of heart because the unicorn is pure of heart but the problem with that is that the moment that they start bringing arthur's pride into the mix is when i kind of start losing interest because i'm like if you had started the episode with arthur getting into a fight with someone about his father like he does with that with that evan guy And either wounds him or kills him, does something malicious with intent, and then has to atone. I get that, but this doesn't make any sense. That he killed an animal by act, like that he didn't know was you know an animal that would bring bad fortune upon him, and then he has to make amends for something that he didn't do on purpose. That that is bullshit.
1: I will I will disagree. I will disagree because Arthur killed that unicorn because it would bring him glory to have killed a unicorn. He didn't kill it for food. He didn't even kill it for skill, like he might maybe a deer or something, where it's like you have to have skill to hunt down this particular animal and kill it. He killed the unicorn that literally just... Stood there and didn't do anything. Didn't try to run away or anything. He killed the unicorn because he saw it was a unicorn. And he was like, "Ooh, awesome. I'm gonna kill that unicorn because it's gonna make a great trophy. Like, that is Arthur, definitely his pride for wanting to have that trophy. That is my take on it. He didn't kill the unicorn just because... I mean, I know later he says, um... I was out hunting, killing animals is what he do, what we do. But it wasn't just any animal. And it didn't look like any animal to Arthur. Like, it looked like a unicorn to Arthur. Arthur recognized that it was a unicorn and he killed it because it was a unicorn.
0: But it's not the same as what he's being accused of in the episode. Like, he's being accused of, um, you know, being... Uh selfish and uh, not listening and of basically ignoring the needs of his people and here he's just being yeah he's he thinks it'll impress his father but he's actually just you know i mean we're gonna get to that but he's just trying to at i would say just to impress his dad because he's like oh my god this will you know make him so happy this will make him so proud i just feel like it's disproportionate what happens bearing in mind what he did and if the and I if the act had been more severe, like, had more malice behind it, actual, like, Arthur being a, a bad person to then warrant this. Because for me, just because you think something's cool, you're going to kill it for sport. Like, like, that to me just doesn't, it isn't the signifier of you being a bad guy. It's just a signifier of you being a hunter and not really g- having much respect for animals. But that's not, like yeah I I just think it doesn't match at all which is but I mean you know I just think it's a little bit disjointed but I mean it kind of comes around full circle but there are times halfway through the episode where I'm like what does this have to do with the unicorn again like I'm like like I kind of lose track of why this is like brought back to the fact that he actually killed the unicorn until Anhora actually just spells it out for us and I'm like oh (laughs) uh no but yeah that's just my kind of introductory uh issue with it but we'll get into all of that so scene by scene yeah cool so we're now naming the scenes guys <laughs> we decided <laughs> that we thought this would be a fun little game so uh first scene we have is the one where Merlin and Arthur find a unicorn uh Momo has some very in-depth thoughts about this oh yeah so.
1: I'm like my thoughts are super deep I hope you're all prepared for my deep philosophical musings here because Arthur's clothes are very pretty. <laughs> like, oh yeah. He wears a brown tunic and a leather vest over it, and that's that's his hunting outfit. Like we we see him wear this for other hunting scenes. I want to say, and um, I am just all about that, especially that brown tunic that is like m- mostly unlaced down to like the middle of his chest and you know the lighting is pretty good so you see his chest hair which always makes me happy because Arthur has nice chest hair so um those are my deep philosophical thoughts for this scene basically ooh, Arthur pretty
0: <laughs> it's so funny like me comparing my notes to yours because I have it that like this is at the bottom of my notes for this scene laugh, but I have I approve of Arthur's wardrobe in this scene <laughs> i approve um also i want to i want to
1: state this now i'm putting up a author outfit outfit tally in this episode because he wears so many different outfits and i'm gonna (laughs) be pointing them all out so just you look forward to that um
0: my first reaction when i saw this opening was you can tell this is a season one episode because of like the camera and just how it's It just has a very low-quality feel about it. Like, the Season 5 stuff would all be, like, wide shots or, like, you know, HD. And this is, like, clearly handheld, like, with, like, one guy (laughs) (laughs) stood behind it. Um, On the subject of wardrobe, though, uh, why are all the knights in chainmail and Arthur is just in his regular hunting
1: clothes? I I think one of the knights was just wearing chainmail over over a leather jerkin or something. Like, okay. I want to say someone had just a little bit of chainmail.
0: But yeah, why are they in chainmail and Arthur isn't? <laughs> Clearly, you know, that that either says something about Arthur's perception of his own skills or his perception of his knight's skills. <laughs> in Arthur, Arthur just
1: looked at his wardrobe, decided what his outfit for the day would be, and then would not be persuaded to put on something else. Because... No, I look good in this. Why would I want
0: to change? Um so Arthur's saying you should go in there and flush it out and I just put here, Melon agrees to this." <laughs> like, why would you agree to this? Like just say no. Yeah. <laughs> like what do Merlin, you do? Merlin even points out you just said
1: this could be dangerous and I was like, "Let's hope so." <laughs> just...
0: Um like so any time Merlin comes into contact with something magical I just get really emotional um I think in hindsight particularly knowing how you know he wouldn't get to you know live out you know his days in Camelot freely you know like as a sorcerer and I just now when I look at him and the wonder on his face when he like sees the unicorn for the first time it's really sweet um I just love it and I think Momo, you have some thoughts about the whole purity thing, don't you? I, mean, I, I definitely mean, do.
1: I mean, I'm not really. like there is. I feel like there are several theories as to why the unicorn let Merlin get so close. And it's either because Merlin has magic or because Merlin is pure of heart or because Merlin is just pure, as in untouched, as in you know what I mean.
0: As in, I'm pretty sure that's what it is, at this, uh, only because... Notice how the unicorn won't come anywhere near him by the end of the episode. <laughs> okay,
1: i i have thoughts I have thoughts about why that is as well, but let's discuss that Ooh. at the end of the episode. I don't think it's because Merlin lost his purity, if he if he even has it still. Um, i th- I think it has more to do with like purity of heart rather than actual sexual. Purity. Oh, I know. This
0: is Merlin. This isn't you know Game I mean, of Thrones. Not
1: not. <laughs> Not even just because this is Merlin, just because um that's that's how I that's how I read it. It's it's just that's what I think it is. I don't think it has anything to do with with sexual virtue or anything. I think it because that's what the entire episode is about. Like Arthur yeah, yeah, has to course. prove that he is pure of heart and I I think that you know, if, if there is so much emphasis on that throughout the episode, then that is what the unicorn senses in people. Their, their pure hearts and not their uh, pure genitals. <laughs> so.
0: I love that. <laughs> um, so the next scene we have is the one where Gaius always knows. <laughs> yes. Um, because he does. Um. Arthur brings the horn to Uther who is you know just oh Aesthetic. Arthur is just so like he's like you can tell how excited he is that Uther is proud of him do you not see the little giddy look on his face where he's like I'm pleased you like it and I'm just like yeah. oh this is so sad he's yeah. really sad um I think our notes are pretty much the same on this the fact that <laughs> Gaius just is like, yeah, it's very impressive. And Uther's just rolling his eyes at his husband and being like, <laughs> yes. "What is it, Gaius? Speak your mind."
1: <laughs> yes, and like, like that. I have that note as well. And I'm just—that is one of the the proofs for me. I mean, we've said this before, how like Uther and uh, Uther and Gaius and Merlin and Arthur are just like the same dynamic like Uther and Gaius yep. are like the the older generation Merlin and Arthur and I in this scene I really feel that because yep. I can because if you had switched that with with Arthur as Uther and Merlin as Gaius it would have worked just as well it that would have been the exact same interaction they would have had
0: <laughs> well it's funny you should say that because like the next scene that we have is the same thing. Like it's the identical same scene. It's Arthur and him saying, don't tell me you're still upset about the unicorn. Like it's him knowing. And I'm just like, it's just brilliant. Like this dynamic. Oh, I just love, I love when we have those kinds of um, parallels because, you know, I, I do think they are so similar and dynamic. They really, really are. Well,
1: all I have to point out for this scene in Arthur's chambers is um, his disheveled hair, which is very nice. Also the fact that he's now wearing only the brown tunic without a jacket and it still looks really good on him. <laughs> and that's the only thing I have to
0: to add for this scene. I love this scene. Um, it's one of many murtha moments of the week. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> Just Merlin looking extremely pretty and looking out into the distance. Now, I uh, actually, it's not in my notes, but I need to kind of mention it here because, A, um, this is the first episode I've noticed Colin getting slightly skinnier.
1: Oh, yeah, he looks very skinny in that episode, doesn't he?
0: I don't know if this was after, like, the Christmas break or something, because I don't think he looked like that in Moment of Truth. Like I mean, they must just
1: it's honestly that's just more proof that these aired not in the order that they were intended to air, probably. I don't
0: know, because obviously they would have taken time off for Christmas and he then obviously went off to film a movie where he was playing a drug addict and he was very thin all of or most of during season two. So I feel like maybe he started to lose weight by by this point, I don't know. I don't know. I
1: don't I don't know either. I really
0: cuz you can definitely tell, but I think he like like his hair is different as well. Like when I look at him from The Dragon's Call to The Labyrinth of Gedreth, I mean, he, he's lost a lot of weight. Uh it and it's re- and I mean, it could just be natural. Like, it could just be natural weight loss that he lost any, quote-unquote, baby fat, like, because he was super busy uh, and and that he wasn't actually losing weight for the role that he would have coming up. But, yeah, I can definitely tell, like, the cheekbones are just popping. They're oh, just, yeah. They're, they're, <laughs> they're just right all over there. the
1: place. They're, they're just everywhere.
0: So, Arthur, obviously, just knowing... Like, being like, oh, what's wrong? And just these two, by this point, are getting so married. Like, <laughs> they're just getting to a point now where I'm like, oh, very, very married. Um, Arthur's... Right, okay. Let's just get this out now. Arthur's chambers in season one are confusing the living daylights out of me because they're not the same chambers that we see in season two. But even these chambers are not consistent with where they're putting the furniture. And it's really stressing me out. <laughs> so in the gates of Avalon, Arthur, like when you walk through the door, Arthur's bed, I believe, I believe is on the left, is on the left. Uh, like as in facing the fireplace because him and Merlin are making the, or like Merlin's making the bed and they're kind of like, chatting and I think you can tell that that's where it is and then in this episode there's a table in front of the door and Arthur's bed is on the back wall and I'm just why do they keep moving things don't they know that this is really irritating
1: me maybe maybe it's seasonal and his bed faces the fireplace in winter and is Somewhere else in the summer. Listen, I don't know. I'm just...
0: <laughs> We're literally, like, he he has a spreadsheet of, like, his summer and winter bedroom arrangements in Merlin. Like, he literally, like, stands there and points, and Merlin has to move the furniture. <laughs> and Arthur already does it because he likes to watch him, like, you know, move things. Probably. He doesn't
1: really care. <laughs> Probably
0: yeah that's just something i noticed because it was really getting on my nerves and yeah then 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 the set is pretty much consistent for the rest of um seasons uh two three four and five but yeah season one is a bit of a mystery in many ways
1: yeah. i mean <laughs> the that... his his chambers grow about uh
0: to the to twice the size in season yeah. two yeah he has two rooms by the yeah yeah by the so... yeah, season two. um Oh, sorry. Just one more thing, because this extra that comes through the door, (laughs) right after Arthur says enter, he appears a couple more times, and he can never get his words out. Like it makes me laugh so much. Like, my lord, your king requests your presence in the. the, the," And I'm just like, (laughs) can you please stop like uh, slurring? Because it's so obvious. Bless him that he was so nervous, and I was. I'm like, oh no. Bless but he appears in like a couple of other episodes, I think in To Kill the King and in season two a couple of times and I'm like, It's that guy <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's it. I've never paid attention to that. I probably should start now. Yeah, like watch like watch for him. He's
0: like the king requests your presence as a matter of urgency <laughs>
1: <laughs> Speaking of matter of urgency, the next yeah. scene is when they stand around in a barren field And the only reason I'm uh, pointing out this scene is because Arthur had a slight wardrobe change and he put on his red velvet jacket with the studs. And it's just, it's a, it's this thriller jacket and it's just, it's such a look.
0: (laughs) I hate.
1: I know you hate hate this jacket. I know you hate it. I just, I'm just like, ooh, look what we found in the wardrobe again. (laughs) So this is officially outfit number two because the brown tunic just stayed on throughout this entire time. But first we had the the leather vest and now we have the Thriller jacket. So make a mark for outfit number two. And I think the next thing we actually want to talk about is the one with the bucket of sand.
0: Right, so uh, this is unfortunately uh, one of those times where me and Momo got a little confused <laughs> because I wrote down in my notes the one with a bucket of sand, meaning the one in which Merlin tries to turn a bucket of sand <laughs> into water. And Momo, oh. I think, thought
1: it was a different scene. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. Because I assumed that was the one uh, where Gwen first... Uh, pumps sand into the bucket instead of water.
0: Oh, no, I didn't even think of that one.
1: Okay, well, I just... Okay, the one where Gwen pumps sand into the bucket, I just made a note because uh, Uther looks very concerned in that. And I, I like that he looks concerned in that because he is the king and just the the famine was bad enough, but now they also don't have water and he's just like... You, you can see the gears turning in his head and he's just like, shit, 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 shit. What am I going to do? I have a kingdom to feed but there is no food. And, you know, and then he is like, uh, magic must be it. The kingdom is under attack. And to be fair, I can, I can see why he would assume that. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Like, I mean, he doesn't he doesn't connect the dots between his son killing a unicorn and then this happening for him these are two two events that have nothing to do with each other and even for arthur they don't really have anything to do with another until it gets like explicitly pointed out to him so you know this is just um i just i completely understand uther's reaction in that scene i understand uther all
0: the time so i know, I I know
1: you do i know you do
0: i love him um yeah so, what are we calling the next scene, then? Well, the I, one
1: I, I call it the one where guys encourages Merlin to use magic for a change.
0: Yeah, it's, like... <laughs> because guys <laughs> is... never does this. This is where I kind of can see your point, like, in these situations where... He's like, I know I've cautioned against using magic in the past, but if ever there was a time... But the thing, like, again, this little tiny Easter eggs as to why I think this might have meant to come earlier, because I'm pretty sure at this point he has encouraged Merlin to use magic for stuff. Like Gates of Avalon, for example, surely he would have, like, you know, he was like, oh, you have to go save Arthur from the She and stuff like that. So surely this was meant to come earlier because this just seems like a little... He, yeah. he
1: also told him not to use. Uh, he also told him to use magic in Lancelot with the griffin. But, exact But still, overall, Gaius is just the guy who's like, don't use magic ever. And that's what I said. Gaius only ever said. Like, Gaius discourages Merlin from using magic except when it suits his own needs or when the needs are just so great that. Like, the risk outweighs the benefits in Gaius' exactly. mind. But it's just... It's very much Gaius' moral standards, Gaius' code of ethics, that he forces on Merlin here, instead of encouraging Merlin to do what's right for Merlin, and not what's right for Gaius. So, <laughs> you know?
0: Um, also, this quote... Um. If it is magic, it's more powerful magic than I possess. And I'm just like, aren't you meant to be the most powerful sorcerer that's ever walked the earth? Why do you keep coming up against magic more powerful than yours? Uh, This especially rings true. I know we're way ahead of ourselves, but like with the whole troll Katrina thing. Oh, her magic is far too powerful. She's a troll. (laughs) You are Merlin. (laughs) Merlin. The most powerful sorcerer alive! (laughs) How is this an issue for you? It's just... I wish the show could kind of just decide on its, um, like, magic system. I really do. It's uh, very confusing for me. Yes.
1: (laughs) Okay, the next one we want to talk about is the one where Merlin and Arthur chase a sorcerer.
0: Yes. (laughs) Just that day for night though really though (laughs) that blue tint though (laughs) gorgeous i mean take a shot every time you see a day for night in this episode it's so blue (laughs) um also arthur is just so done with merlin he's just like you've been outwitted by a rat (laughs) He's just so done with him, like he doesn't even care. He's like, just go back to bed, please. <laughs> Until they actually see Anhora. Um, and, uh, yeah, I already mentioned this in the Bradley James episode, but it's obviously relevant to this, that Arthur, like, jumping down the stairs into the dungeons rather than, Like taking them one at a time just is a great acting choice to show that he's kind of like, you know, the the strategist and the and the soldier and the hunter. I really like that. Um, It's funny, isn't it, Momo? Like the fact that we've, you know, been to Piafond now and I just always find now watching. Where these guys are running to? Yeah, like when they're chasing That's, people. It's it's
1: one of it's my note for this scene. Actually, I ended up looking more at the castle in the background than the actual scene because I was like, oh, I know where that is. Oh, I know where that is. And wait, if you run there, you. I mean, to be fair, when they run along the corridor, then down the stairs, and then further down the stairs into the dungeons, that actually does work. Like that's that's actually the yeah. right direction. It's just that from the the door from the through, courtyard. <laughs> from the courtyard, the door through which they went when they followed horror that's it doesn't lead to that corridor that
0: they are chasing him down later. <laughs> so they're chasing him down the gallery, which is two floors. Or like one floor above where <laughs> it actually are. And, um, also, uh, I did note, uh, just quickly, like as they ran past, they ran past the stairs that never meet. Yes, they uh, do. Yeah, which, yeah, which is so cool. I love that. And yeah. it just kind of, um, it's like a little thing I had in my head while we were walking around 1, thinking about the, the, the two stairs that never meet, but, a side-by-side, side, and it's quite cool how that was the set for Merlin with, like, Merlin and Arthur and the two sides of the same coin, like, never meeting, but side-by-side. Side. I just thought it was really cool. Yeah. So, yeah, um, that's something that I love. But, yeah, just, yeah, the way they chase him to the... Like, it's just... It makes no sense, really, like, from the coin. <laughs> also, this
1: conversation probably doesn't make sense to anyone except people who have been to BF4. <laughs> and yet we're keeping it in the episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's just... Yeah, like... I mean, the way they cut it, it works. It's just that once you've been there, it doesn't work anymore because you know that it makes no sense for an horror to go into the castle on the ground floor and then be chased down a gallery that is a floor higher up only to come back down two flights of stairs into the dungeons again. It's just, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. Like, uh, geographically which brings me back to our idea to create a map of piafond that is not actual piafond but as it is seen in in Merlin like how they mapped
0: out Camelot that would yep. be a really interesting project um okay so now we've got the geography lesson <laughs> out of the way um this I love Arthur like the continuation of Arthur trying to teach Merlin the hand signals which from the first scene it's just a cool little thing and it's so cute like I love how we don't cut away we just stay on the wide shot Arthur's showing him what he wants him to do. Merlin nods. Arthur turns around and Merlin just follows him like a puppy. <laughs> and I'm just like, he just wants to follow Arthur. <laughs> and he's just like Nurr.
1: That's because just, Arthur that's because Arthur uses these hand signals on Merlin without actually bothering to explain what they mean. I'm hung- I'm absolutely convinced that Arthur never bothered to actually sit Merlin down and teach him these hand signals. He just uses them on him and assumes Merlin knows what they mean and then gets frustrated when Merlin doesn't because Merlin wasn't brought up as a (laughs) mini-knight.
0: And Roxanne, who is now currently rereading the Falconry series, just has so many feelings about this because it's all about Merlin... Uh, being like trained up as a knight or as someone who can fight like and it's that just now makes me so like oh giddy <laughs> anytime i think about it so yeah um i love that though like just it means you go the other way and cut him off <laughs> it's brilliant um yeah do you have any any more notes about this scene i have one more note
1: it's uh also uh a call back to our Bradley James episode two weeks ago. It's just, watch Bradley's face when he talks to Anhora, and especially watch his face when he gets angrier at Anhora, because just, he doesn't even need lines. You can just see on his face how furious he is, how unjust he thinks this treatment is. I mean, in this scene, he still believes that it's not his fault. He believes that Anhora is an evil sorcerer who brought this upon Camelot. And it's just, Arthur is so angry that someone would fuck with his people like this. And it's just all over his face. And I love that.
0: I mean, I would argue it's unjust. <laughs> but, you know, um, we can get into that, I suppose. Uh, uh Yeah, I love how Anhora is, like, like, they're just not listening to each other. Yeah. And how Arthur's like, you're under arrest. <laughs> no. <laughs> denied. <laughs> <laughs> like, with that disappearance. Uh, and Hora just said, denied. <laughs> <laughs> not today. <laughs> and he's just fu- furious. Um, yeah, it's such a good scene. I love it. And yeah, it's a real insight into kind of Arthur's short temper.
1: Yeah. I think also Arthur wears a red tunic in this scene if I'm not completely mistaken. Doesn't he wear the thriller jacket in this scene? Oh yes, he is. I'm sorry, that's my mistake. He's back to, he's still in the brown tunic with the with the thriller jacket. I'm sorry, that was my mistake. I I I got ahead of myself
0: there. <laughs> <laughs> the only reason why I know this is because I always remember how much the red contrasts with the day for night blue. Right. <laughs> and it's just like so much contrast Right, right. Okay. So
1: the next scene we wanna mention is the one where the rat is also
0: hungry. Um I'm very, very interested about what made them come up with this uh rat B plot because <laughs> it's very prominent in this episode and I'm not entirely sure if they put it in just so they could make Arthur eat rat stew, or if they literally couldn't think of anything to pad this episode out with, like, what do you think?
1: I, I have never thought about this.
0: There's so much. I know like, the... the rat is mentioned twice. This is the twi- like the second time he's mentioned, yeah. and the third time is the rat stew. Why?
1: <laughs> no, I actually, I, I mean, if we're precise, it's the fourth. Like there's this is the third time because it's Arthur finds the red droppings, then the the scene Merlin coming out of the castle and and Arthur's like there's curfew and Merlin is like well I was trying to catch the red. Yes, of So course. this is this is now the third time the red gets <laughs> mentioned because the red has now uh, gnawed through Arthur's boot and Arthur is just livid. <laughs> How dare someone fuck with his fashion?
0: He's also wearing a red tunic now. Let me point that out. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Merlin being such a sass pot. Ah, oh, I love it. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it just looks like the rat's just as hungry as the rest of us. You think this is funny, <laughs> moderately. <laughs> just, and I now use moderately to reply to people when they ask me if I find something funny because of Merlin. It's just brilliant. <laughs> But this is what I'm saying, like, so my friend Annie, hi Annie, who I'm getting into Merlin, she even said to me, like, oh, there's a dick, he's such a dick in this episode, what happened? Like, he just throws the shoe at Merlin, like, I get he's hungry, but, ugh, just calm down, really.
1: Yes, yeah. I don't like it. His, His only redeeming quality in this scene is that at the end of it, he puts on a brown coat of sex indeed which now <laughs> is um another another outfit i think if if we're counting all the different versions with and without jackets that's now his fifth already at this point um yeah um, yeah so no, no yes fifth if we count the the start of the scene when he doesn't wear a coat and then the end of the scene when he does wear a coat so that's five outfits already for author in and and this is like what 10 minutes into the episode <laughs> feels like it probably more like 15 <laughs> but still
0: oh god um yeah. there's actually a lot to unpack in this episode uh in this scene so merlin trying to carefully broach the subject of Anhora i think is just really great i think that this episode kind of rides a really strange line with me because yeah on the one hand arthur's attitude. The way that he approaches the whole magic situation, his treatment of Merlin, all these things feel very early season one. But the way that Merlin treats Arthur feels very, like it feels very warranted, the place in the season that it is, because they are so married by this point. He is very much just like, you know, oh, have you given any thought to what Anne Horace said? You know, well, you know, Arthur's just getting dressed and putting on his shoes and putting on his belt. And, you know, it's very domestic. And I think that's really, really cool. Um, but just on the subject of Arthur getting dressed, um Arthur's jackets are are hanging from a candle holder for Christ's sake (laughs) like (laughs) just the fact that he allows Merlin to keep his chambers in such a state I don't (laughs) understand Um, but yeah that's just something I noticed while I was watching it in the background I was like oh for fuck's sake (laughs)
1: that's that's, that's his that's his uh, what's it called the thing that goes under your chainmail
0: yeah
1: the yeah the 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 thing (laughs) The thing that the padded thing that goes under your chimney off the that's hanging off the the candle holder in that scene. Um Yeah. (laughs) I mean it's also like stuff just there's also isn't that like a pair of trousers that's also draped over. I'm just looking at the screenshot now, it's just like there's also like a pair of trousers draped over and I'm just like, what is happening? (laughs)
0: It's brilliant. It's just, but I mean, I guess it's nice just to kind, of, yeah, like it makes it feel more lived in. But I'm like, yeah, just what can't really candle holder. <laughs> um, now, what do we think about this entire exchange between them? Because at this point, Arthur's been approached by Anhora. Anhora has told him plain as day, unfortunately, this is your fault. You you will be tested. You killed the unicorn. And Merlin says, you know, have you given any more thought to what Anhora said? Now, despite what the show would have us believe Arthur is not stupid (laughs) he does behave in a very stupid way for the majority of the show but I do believe that he has to have a brain like he must have a brain I agree you know and and a logical one at that he's a he's he's a soldier so for merlin to stand there and say to him you know giving him all these reasons he said you'd be tested look what's happening the crops magically disappearing the water just going after you killed the unicorn and him being like uh we had him cornered he was trying to talk his way out of it by blaming me and merlin's like he can disappear into thin air like why do you think arthur is just not listening do you think he actually believes what he's saying or he's just trying to talk himself into believing it At this point.
1: I think that... I think he doesn't want to believe... That his people are suffering because of something he did. But I think that at the same time... He is coming to the conclusion that yes... There might be a connection there between what he did and what is happening. He just... He still... Like... I think he can't quite accept it yet. You know? Right. I think, I mean, this is, this is, um, uh, borrowing from what we're going to talk about in a, in a couple of minutes when we get to that scene, but I don't think he actually fully believes that this is his doing or that this is happening because of something he did, um, until the water comes back, Mm -hmm. um, the next day after, after he let the man go. And I think that's when he fully believes that that there's something to this. And I don't think, yeah, I think he is he is coming to the conclusion that okay, what Anhora said is is what is true. But at the same time, he like he just he doesn't want to believe it. He can't. He just the the idea of being the one who caused this to happen. Mm -hmm. however uh accidental it may have been is is abhorrent to him and he just he doesn't he doesn't want to contemplate it
0: yeah and i think what's really lovely um i mean god bradley like i there are a couple of acting um choices which i'll get to don't you guys worry (laughs) that that I really don't like in this episode, but they're in like the last scene, Uh, but they must've worked their asses off in this block because they are in every scene. Like there's so much of them. And I think what's really lovely is the fact that, you know, obviously these, these scenes were not shot in order. And I love the fact that there is a natural progression of the tone of their conversations. Like Merlin is kind of like, you know, Arthur, he can disappear into thin air, but later on, when he's about to serve him the rat stew like and we'll get to that but he's much harsher with him he's like look it's not funny anymore the time for joking around is fucking over just get your act together and i love that there is that slow progression how he really he he's he he is the only fucking person in this castle that can get through to him he really is and i really love that he knows when to just let him have it and be like look you need to like you need to strap up now and i think that's really great um and i love them so (laughs) of course i think that's great but you know um yeah and we've mentioned it already arthur saying you cannot trust a single word a sorcerer says you would do well to believe that like to be aware of that it feels like a very early season one kind of line like a wink wink nudge nudge um i don't like it I don't like that it comes off the bat of Moment of Truth. I don't like that Merlin lets him say it off the bat of Moment of Truth. Yes. But the only way I can kind of feel okay with it is knowing that maybe it comes before Moment of Truth. (laughs) So that might
1: be why. Yeah. Someday we're going to reorder
0: season one episodes i'm gonna do it soon guys i promise (laughs) it's just taking time (laughs) um so following straight off of that scene uh we have the one where merlin is a thirsty boy um (laughs) (laughs) sorry (laughs) he literally is a thirsty boy i don't know what you guys i mean (laughs)
1: I want to point this out that in the original scene notes, the only thing it says there is the one where Merlin is thirsty. And That's
0: not what it says in my notes.
1: Well, th- <laughs> then you changed them after you copied them
0: into the script. I did because I knew you'd delete it. <laughs> really, I wouldn't have done that. No, I'm joking. No, I just it just kind of just happened organically. You know, sure. you just got to let these things occur as they'll occur, Momo. You yeah. know. Sure. <laughs> um,
1: I, I only have one note for this scene and it's Arthur using hand signals again and then Merlin nodding and Arthur just giving him a look that says you didn't understand anything, did you? <laughs> Which I love. He's just like, Merlin is so eager and trying to be like, yes, yes, I get it. And Arthur is just like, his look just says it. You didn't actually get what I said, did
0: you? <laughs> I just, I love that so. <laughs> I ship it so much. Oh, really? That's news um, to me. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Ironically, um, this used to be one of my favourite Mertha scenes. Um, when I was watching season one, like when I was first getting into Merlin after I'd seen um, Lancelot and Guinevere for the first time, I was kind of just watching, like, I mean, these are the days when you could still kind of find them on YouTube, and I was just kind of watching, like, individual episodes and individual scenes, and... Um, I used to love like, and this was way before I shipped Merthyr, but I loved them as banter. Like I loved scenes with them and and just Arthur walking into the room, seeing Merlin asleep, making a face that is just like, like that (laughs) and just, just whacking him across the head with whatever it is he hits him with. (laughs) And Colin just kind of going like, just kind of, bouncing up as he wakes back up and Arthur just with that those wide eyes and just don't you worry about keeping watch Merlin you just make yourself comfortable <laughs> is probably one of my favorite like comedic moments between them it's just like I mean you can kind of see why Arthur thinks Merlin is a bit of a buffoon <laughs> because this is all he sees of him it's just you know he's given him a task he's walked in on him sleeping <laughs> and it's just like oh. Like like every time I think of that face he makes as he walks in, just where he screws his lips up, it's just like, why do I keep you around? (laughs) Um, Okay. So there's a moment um, when they're kind of like skulking through when they think they might've seen Anhora or just looking for him where I think Arthur's kind of leaning forward and Merlin's behind him and Merlin goes forward and Arthur just kind of gently puts his hand on Merlin denim as just like, no, 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 no. Like stay behind me. And it's just such a sweet, like little moment. And I'm quite like, I like all the little things that people do like kind of like their body language stuff. And it's, Oh, I just love that. I just think it's so adorable. Like his protective kind of side is coming out already. Um, yeah. And uh, Arthur is just like, so snappy, like, in the scene when he meets evan and it just cracks me up so much he's just kind of like i see you think you can help yourself to our grain reserves it's just like calm down this guy that plays evan um the less said about him the better i suppose (laughs) but he's really bad (laughs) and also i don't know who wrote this episode i'll have to go back and check but the whole like You have proved yourself to be gracious, my and like this will bring its own reward. I'm surprised that Arthur just kind of didn't think there was anything strange about those words and him being like, "No one talks like that." (laughs) (laughs) No, like he went from shaking and nearly pissing himself with fear to being like, "You have proved yourself to be gracious, my lord," and it's just like, what? (laughs) What is? Oh, I hate it. It's so cheesy. It's so cheesy, and I can't stand it. But who cares? Because the next scene that we have is the one where Merlin
1: and Arthur gulp a lot. They do, yes. and it's
0: beautiful. Yes, although there is
1: one tiny little thing before they start gulping. It's a uh, oh, that- it's it's Gwen going to the to water pump <laughs> and pumping water. I'm just like I'm wondering why she does it because she has no reason to believe that the water has come back. But at the same time, I like that we have this parallel of. Her being the one who is the first to pump sand out of the water pump, and also being the first who pumps water out of the water pump at the end. Yeah. When, when it well, right. she sees
0: a drop, doesn't she? Like, she sees someone being chased for looting, and she happens to look in the direction oh, of yeah. the Oh, yeah,
1: you're right. Yeah, she yeah, sees she... a drop, and then that's why she, she goes to, to pump water. So I like that, that little parallel of it being Gwen yeah. both times, who discovers how it works. And then, yes, the boys gulp a lot, and it's very nice. Also, this is Arthur's sixth outfit of this episode. (laughs) It's
0: brown, isn't it? No,
1: it's purple!
0: He wears a
1: purple shirt and a brown jacket. That's what I meant. yeah, yeah, um, a brown jacket, yeah. (laughs) Yes, a brown jacket with a
0: purple shirt. So, woohoo, that looks good on him. (laughs) To be fair, it's an, I mean, it's a new day. I mean, it makes sense that he'd wear all these different outfits, you know?
1: It's the Middle Ages! How many clothes does this boy have? And, like, on the first day, he changed his outfit twice. <laughs> to be fair, he wore the same tunic for it, but still. I was just like, Arthur, you don't need that many clothes. I mean, I love that you have them and that you wear them in this episode, but... <laughs> listen... <laughs>
0: Um, so this scene, I really like, you know, it starts off with banter and all of it. And, but you know what I love actually is that, you know, Arthur is very stoic, you know, Merlin's the one that's complaining. I'm thirsty and, you know, we're all thirsty, Merlin, but here, here, you know, you can actually see he's really been suffering. He's really been thirsty and he hasn't said anything, you know, it's kind of the, you know the king, the prince, you know, that has to put on a brave face for everyone else, that I really, really like that little moment where you can see after he's finished drinking how thirsty he really was, which is so cool. Um, But, like, I just feel a bit like, again, this is just, uh, I don't like some of this writing. It's just like, you know, um, you know, sand's gone, the water's returned to the well. It doesn't make any sense. And I'm like, yes, it does. (laughs) How can you be so, like, I don't even know what the word is. Is it stupid? Is it blind? Is it, like, dumb? I don't know. Just don't do it. Like, you you know why the water's returned. You're not an idiot. Um, But this is such a great parallel, again, between the, like, maybe, like, this scene is more of a parallel between the Gaius and Uther Um, scene Uh, where, you know, he's like, I suppose you have an explanation for this, Merlin. <laughs> And it's just so sweet. Oh, okay. Guys, I made a mistake. Oh God. Oh, that never happens. No, never happens. No, okay. This is the scene I was talking about when I said Merlin's really harsh with Arthur. The one with the rats too, he's actually quite quite nice about everything. So yeah, this is what I'm saying. Merlin just knows. He knows when he has to, like what he has to do. He knows how to talk to this guy. You know, he starts off really, really calm in the previous scene where he's like, Oh, have you thought about what Anhoras said? This scene, you know, he's just like I know you don't have to listen to me and Arthur's just being a bit of a dick and he's like, well, I'm glad that we agree on something. And Marlon just puts the goblet down. He's like, if you're tested again. And he just is like, he's, he just had it. He's like, no, (laughs) like this is bullshit. Like the water's returned. You have a chance to fix it. So just fucking do it. Um, and I love that. And Arthur actually kind of looks up and he's like, Oh yeah, maybe I should. And his eyes are so blue. (laughs) His (laughs) eyes are so blue. Um, especially, yeah, it's yeah, just very pretty. Um, yeah the the next one is the one where Gwen finds some bread she does <laughs> which i
1: which I like because we have seriously kind and compassionate Morgana in this scene. This is like prime season one Morgana content right there. It's just Morgana being like did you did you find some bread or did you find something to eat and then just just share it among the children and the old make it as far make it go as far as it can go. And just her looking mm-hmm. so so concerned about the people. That's just... That's season
0: one Morgana. <laughs> yes. And concerned for Arthur, because we are, of course, on Armor Watch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and my God, a... I,
1: I forgot. Sorry. I forgot to... Oh, no, the rest you've seen is the next one. I didn't yeah. forget anything. I'm so yeah. glad.
0: <laughs> okay, They, um... She, because the scene starts as an armour scene, and then uh, Gwen uh, saunters in with her basket, and uh, yeah, Morgana's just trying to just she's just trying to make him feel better, like, and she doesn't know what's up. She has no idea it's his fault, but she can see how much he's hurting, and this is actually a very uh, rare occasion where she's not trying to make his life difficult, <laughs> and it's really nice to see them like this. It's gonna be over soon. <laughs> <laughs> i'm so sad but yeah at the moment it's yeah it's it's still good um so <laughs> here we go we're gonna spend a long time on this <laughs> the one with the wrapped stew unless you've got something in between there and there nope. nope nope okay i mean there are a couple of bits in between you know where merlin kills the rat and everything else you know to make and like you know but yeah this but is we don't this see is the him kill
1: in... we, do, we don't see him kill the rat though it's like the the literally the neck that's literally the next scene like you have oh you uh have...
0: yeah apologies he i think he kills the rat in the previous murtha scene so it's when arthur says and oh, try and find me some food and then he sees the rat coming out of the shoe and yeah. he kills him yeah. yeah um but so here we go <laughs> uh actually do you know what Mimo, you you go ahead because I have a lot of feelings about this scene. Okay, well, my only, honestly, my only note
1: on this scene comes towards the end, when Morgana comes in and asks them if they have anything, any food. And you can just see Arthur's mind going from, you know, saying no, sorry, all we have is this this terrible rat stew, to hang on a second, I can serve this rat stew to Morgana. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, I you, you, can, you can really see it on his face just being like about to say no you can't eat this because it's terrible to hang on a second <laughs> and then Merlin's, Merlin's devious little grin because he just read his
0: boyfriend's mind and yeah I'm just I have a little bit of an issue though with these people like Arthur particularly Having such a problem with eating a rat stew, which is meat, yeah. when they are starving. Yeah. Like, are you? Si- like, this is the thing. Like this. Just, this would have come before moment of truth. <laughs> <laughs> it's just annoying me, but yeah, um, that like that's just like my only kind of gripe with the scene. So, Arthur, sitting, you know. And contemplating his life, uh, you know, it's just really pretty, always. Yes. And I think it's Arthur that brings up the conversation. Like, he says to Merlin, do you really think that I'm responsible for bringing, you know, this suffering on my people? And Merlin is really tender with him. Like, at this point, he knows that he, like, that Arthur doesn't need him to be a dick right now. Like, he needs him to be kind. And he just says, you know, I'm afraid so. And I love that it's just his... Um, approval that kind of is the catalyst to like kick Arthur into actually taking action and Merlin's smile and he's like we're gonna go find down horror is just so lovely I really love the fact that he's so proud of his baby and it's just everything that I love um, also not being funny but this The stew looks kinda nice. (laughs) Like Am I the only one that thinks that? I think didn't they use like
1: cut up uh burger patties for the meat in it? Yeah, it looks like beef. Yeah, they I I think that's what I read sometime that they used cut up burger patties. Like obviously fried like cooked burger patties, not just raw, but yeah, I think that's that's what they what they put
0: in there. Um This scene is just. uh, I love the sound design in this scene because it's actually a very quiet scene. Like there's actually very little dialogue, and you can really just hear every. Like it's almost like 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 you could hear like a speck of dust fall, and that really is to its benefit. With you know the whole eating and the and like the spoons cluttering on stuff and chewing, and it's just so great. Um, But just the slow slow realization but even like while Arthur's eating and he's like there's a very strange texture (laughs) it's the way he says it and then just that moment where it hits him that it's rat and just like I think it's one of the most amazing pieces of acting by Mr Bradley James (laughs) that he's ever given us just going from completely normal to you know Furious, but also notice how Merlin can, like, I think he can sense that there's an, there's a difference in energy happening right now. <laughs> and he goes over and he just takes the bowl away. <laughs> he just, or well, like he takes, um, I think he might, uh, I think he takes the main pot away or something like that, like, so that Arthur, like, just doesn't have to look at it. And then, like we said, um, in the Bradley James episode, just that kind of kind, polite, look at me, I'm being rude. You're hungry too. <laughs> and Merlin just trying to like resist like, oh, I'm not hungry. <laughs> and then just the, take a seat. <laughs> <Beautiful>. <laughs> now there's a jump cut here, which is so funny. It goes from take a seat to Jush, him going straight into the chair. <laughs> and it's so great. And I mean, can we please discuss How much, um, well, this scene is very much like dessert, in my opinion. Um, I don't know if you feel the same, Momo. You mean it's, you're, you're being, you're using dessert as an analogy for sex? Yeah. Yeah. It's very much, it's very sexy. That's never something I'm not going to (laughs) enjoy. It's so, it's so great. And everyone I've shown this scene to, like, who doesn't even watch Merlin? Like, oh my god, this is really sexual. And I'm like, I know, <laughs> it's so great. Like, just the chewing and Arthur kind of going, mmm, like as Merlin's actually eating, and then him bringing the um, bringing the uh, the silver pot or whatever it is, like, over to him, being like, I'm glad you like it because, and then opening it and go, there's plenty more, and it's just like. <gasps> <sighs> basically my entire reaction when i watched this scene and my friend annie who like i said has been watching merlin with me um she made me go back three times three times (laughs) to rewind to the moment where he goes enter like every single time it happened she was like i need to hear it again i need to hear it again so yeah i'm not even a bradley fan girl but that did it for me i was like oh my god and then morgana comes in and yeah yeah <laughs> um so
1: what do we have next? The one where Arthur kills a guy. Yeah. We have a new outfit combination in this one. It is the red shirt and the brown jacket. So that is outfit number seven now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um so yeah, they're just kind of chasing around looking for Anhor, aren't they? And like, they, they lose each other. Arthur just kind of charges off into the distance and is just calling, Merlin! I'm <laughs> just like, <laughs> did, did you not think to just look behind your shoulder <laughs> to see if he was there? <laughs> it just really confuses me. Um, and yeah, Arthur basically comes across Evan, who just happens to be skulking in the forest with a mountain full of food and, uh, waiting for him. I mean, that's not suspicious at all, really, is it? <laughs> um. So, again, not a Bradley fangirl, but having Arthur Pendragon stand there and say, you will hold your tongue or I will find some time to teach you some manners. Yes, please, Bradley. You can teach me some manners any time of the day you like if you're wearing that outfit and you're saying it in that tone of voice. Yes, please. Sorry, Momo. I think I'm going to be stealing him from you soon. <laughs> um. No. I don't think you will. Yes. <laughs> I literally just have written next to it, yes, please. Like, that's all I've got written next to that line. Um, Right. So, I don't understand how Arthur doesn't realize that this, this guy clearly isn't real, because he knows each and every one of Arthur's triggers and Arthur's tells. Like, how? How does he know these things? How does Arthur let himself be goaded like this. I don't understand it. Like do you have anything to to tell me?
1: I no, honestly to me this scene feels out of character for Arthur. Like I just coming off of what he has already learned about the curse and how um he's the one responsible for it it's i I don't understand that he reacts this way. The only thing I can see is just Evan like really you know pushing on the your father would be disappointed uh button where I'm just like, mm-hmm.
0: um, that's, that's that's when he stops, yeah,
1: yeah, that's like that's the trigger point, and I'm just like, I can see that to be honest, but I still think that like author wouldn't usually react this way or maybe at least not author at this point in the season would react (laughs) this way which just brings us back to if this were if this were earlier in the series then this probably wouldn't feel as out of character for him as it does. I just this scene always makes me cringe because I'm just like that's not author isn't that that much of a choleric of uh, douchebag who just flies off the handle that easily.
0: Yeah. I wonder though, like, again, I don't think it's realistic that he didn't realize that this was some kind of trickery. Like, that's just bullshit. But, I think there's something to be said for the fact that he's killed this unicorn, he's brought the horn to his father who said that he was, you know, proud of him and Mm-hmm. You know, gave him some kind of recognition <laughs> for crying out loud. And then because of that decision, everything's gone to shit. He's scared. He doesn't know how to fix it. He's hungry. He's thirsty. He hasn't eaten for days. And I think his father putting pressure on him as well to fix this, to find the sorcerer, to but deal with we this.
1: haven't we haven't seen Uther put pressure on him in ages at this point. Like, the yeah. the, the real... Like if this had happened after, because I think that is uh, one of the one of the next scenes coming up is uh, Uther at the end of the scene um, blaming Arthur for for the famine, and he's like, if you this is your doing, if you had caught the sorcerer, none of this would be happening. Like if if the scene in the woods with Evan had come after that. I would understand it, but as it is, the only times we've seen Uther in this episode so far have been ecstatic at Arthur's kill, concerned over the dead uh, fields, and then concerned over the missing water. These are literally Mm -hmm. the only three times we've seen Uther, and we haven't seen him in at least 10 to 15 minutes at this point in this episode. Like, Uther is not on the table figuratively or literally <laughs> in this episode in in at the moment like he is not in the foreground what is in the foreground is Arthur's feeling of inadequacy and guilt over having caused this famine
0: that is true but I just I think I think there is something to the you know us as an audience or at least us as fans knowing how important Uther's approval is to Arthur and being aware of the fact that even if we haven't seen it explicitly, you know, the one thing that he's done recently to please his father, bringing him this unicorn horn, having now brought about this famine on Camelot and then someone using his father's approval against him. I can kind of see it just making him absolutely raging. Like, yeah, I don't know. Although the bit where it's like he must imagine if you are like sorry um he uh, he must wonder if you are even his son. I'm like, uh, where did that come from? <laughs> That's ridiculous. Like that makes no like that. Yeah, but like that was stupid. But I don't know. Yeah, the actual fight is ridiculous. But I think the scene is very telling of Arthur's. Insecurities that go way beyond this episode, and I actually have a theory based on this that I think if Arthur was given a choice to magically be stripped of his title or his responsibility, I guess I would say like to be just a nobleman or someone or a peasant, you know i I think he's naive to the life of peasants, but let's just say he thinks he could still live the same lifestyle, you know, I think he probably would step down if someone else came in and said i'll do it i'll take your job say an older brother showed up i don't know (laughs) i think he would happily give up his responsibilities and step down and i think that the only reason he cares so much for camelot is because uther taught him to i think uther cares a great deal for camelot i think that arthur only does because it's in his um upbringing to do that And he's a good guy, like, you know, he does care about people, but I don't think it's as ingrained in him as it is in Uther. And I think this scene shows because, you know, him being goaded by the fact that Uther doesn't think you're fit to wear the crown. Uther doesn't this, Uther doesn't that. You know, it's not him saying, oh, you don't really think you're fit to wear the crown. He doesn't really care about that. He cares about what his father thinks. I don't know. I just feel like that's my little kind of take on Arthur. I always seem to have an Arthur thought of the week. <laughs> yeah. there you go. I, I
1: absolutely, I honestly, I agree with that. Like he would certainly put up um, a token amount of protest, be like, no, no, this is my responsibility. Responsibility. I was raised to do this. Blah blah blah. Um, but eventually, he would be glad to give up the the responsibility. Like, I mean. I think he would still meddle sometime and have opinions on how it should be done even if he gave up the title but I think that he still would do it like I think whoever stepped like okay this is fantasy land now but imagine if Morgana had been revealed to be Uther's daughter, Arthur's sister, and imagine she had been older, and imagine she had had a legitimate claim to the throne, I think that Arthur would have gone, you know what, you can have it, as long as he, you know, as long as they agreed on politics. Like, season one Morgana, I'm pretty sure Arthur would have given her the throne like that. Like, if, if season one Morgana had been revealed to be um, a legitimate heir to the throne. Arthur would have gone. Awesome, you can do it. I'll just, uh, I'll just be head of the knights and keep doing what I've been doing. I don't, I don't want to be king. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. I mean, controversial. Like, like, like I said, he still probably would have tried to. I mean, he still would have argued with Morgana over decisions, probably. Um, Just like he also argued with his father on occasion when his father did something that Arthur really super objected to. Um, but I think that, especially in season one, Morgana and Arthur were much closer in what they perceived to be right and just. So he probably wouldn't have had that much issue with her taking the throne and how she ruled the country. But, I mean, that's just... That's just fantasy anyway, because that never happened, but someone should- If they had gotten
0: married, it wouldn't have to be a fantasy. <laughs> Some, someone should write that story. I've- I kind of (laughs) did. Like, Arthur and Morgana got married in my fic, and they were ruling Camelot together, and Morgana was secretly in love with Leon, and Merlin was secretly in love with Merlin. Sorry, Arthur was secretly in love with Merlin. And, yeah, it was my perfect, like, Merlin scenario. Why didn't they get married? Why? Why, 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 why? (laughs) It's so upsetting. Anyway, let's just move on before I get into my armor feels. (laughs)
1: Oh, hang on, I have one more thought about the, the scene in the woods. Uh, yep. Because this is, again, uh, just a testament to Bradley's acting skills that I've just been watching in this episode more than usual, apparently. Just the anguish on Arthur's face when he when he realizes that he failed the test and that his people are going to be made to suffer and him just being like... Uh, I'm paraphrasing, why are you punishing them if it's me who did something wrong? They shouldn't suffer for my mistakes. It's just, just look at his face. He's just, he doesn't understand. He's so upset about this. He is angry, but he's also sad. And it's just, it's heartbreaking just to look at his face
0: in that moment. It is really great. It's so good.
1: Yeah. And then, yes, the, the next one we actually want to talk about is the one with the low-angle shot, a.k.a. the best scene of the entire episode, because it's the prettiest of them all. <laughs> <laughs> and we are... Hang on. No, that's that's the same outfit, so we haven't had an... Oh, no, we have had an outfit change,
0: because... Arthur oh, is angsting, but not angsting enough to <laughs> not change his clothes. <laughs>
1: Yes. Oh no, sorry, no it's not. It's he had the red shirt and the brown jacket in the woods and he still has the red shirt and the brown jacket. So
0: I correct myself, he's angsting so much he can't change his clothes. I mean <laughs> it is it is still the same day,
1: so maybe, you know, he figured he doesn't he doesn't change clothes just yet. But yes, this is the scene in the council chambers when Uther says like after Arthur has Failed the test and all this, the stored grain has uh has gone bad. and They can't use the stores they had. And then we had the scene with Gaius and Merlin eating a bug, which is just yikes. And now Arthur and Uther are talking about what they should do. And Uther is like, well, we're gonna stop distributing food to the peasants because we need to feed our army. And Arthur is just like, wait, what? So...
0: Um, I mean, Uther is Uther is so scared in this scene. I love it. Like, he is genuinely terrified. And, you know, he even, like, says to Arthur, like, you know, what would you have me do? I don't know what to do. <laughs> like, we have to protect ourselves. Like, what can I do? I can't make food out of nothing, you know. And, um, God, can you really, you know, say that he's wrong? I don't know.
1: Um... I mean, I can't say. But what yeah. I wonder in this in this scene, especially, is uh, what the the actual political climate is like. Because Arthur is like, well, we could ask the neighboring kingdoms for food, and Uther is like, no, they will perceive this as weakness and attack us. And I'm just like, is that? Like, do you fear that because it's what you would do because you don't actually like any of the other kingdoms? Or is that a legitimate fear you have because you actually have really bad relations with literally all the other kingdoms? Like, what was the whole thing with Bayard about, if not a peace (laughs) treaty or anything? Like, what are you doing if you can't even ask any of your neighbors... For help, like you are literally surrounded by other kingdoms. You are in the middle, surrounded by other kingdoms. Do you realize how fucked you are if you are on bad terms with all of them, and if even just two or three of them decide to ally and go to war against you together? <laughs> I'm just like Uther, please.
0: We uh, consider I mean...
1: your choices. <laughs>
0: This is where my kind of history hat comes back on. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, look, I really do sympathize with Uther in these situations because I don't, again, we don't know what time period this was set in, whatever, and obviously we don't, I mean, I don't know much about the the history of England before it was made, like, one country. But in Europe, in the Middle Ages, you, you know, Everything was about power and how much power you had, how much money you had. It was so common for countries to go to war against one another for nothing, just because they wanted, to, just because they wanted uh, more land, or because they felt it was like their pride. The amount of battles that were fought over Calais, um, like 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 for England to keep Calais, was just ridiculous. Like it was such a proud thing for them to have territory, English territory in France. Even when you were allied with a kingdom because you were married into that kingdom, sometimes they would still find ways of going behind people's backs to try and invade. It was ridiculous. Like, no one cared. Um, and I just feel like this is why I get very upset when the whole, oh, I can't marry someone I don't love comes into play because marriage was like the only, like one of the only ways you could like ensure everything any level of safety like marrying your children off young or betrothing them meant that you you know might live to see another generation <laughs> and i'm just like i completely get it because you you can be on good terms quote unquote it doesn't matter you know and if camelot's doing pretty well for itself yeah if they hear that <laughs> There's no food. They're right in there. You know, it's like I can I can completely see that happening. Um, and I don't think it has anything to do with Uther's temperament because the other kings don't sound like they're a basket of fruit either. To be quite honest with you, yeah, fair enough. But yeah, poor Uther is all I have to say in this scene. Also, I just love how he's drama queen. TM. I would rather starve than beg my enemies for help. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean then breath- I mean Arthur is just just as dramatic. Like. I can't think of my pride when my people are starving. It's there all I can think of. Yes, it's there. They are both very dramatic in this in this scene. The the one thing I uh, that breaks my heart is at the end when Uther tries to order Arthur to give that order to stop distributing food to the lower town, and Arthur is like, "Give that order yourself." And then Uther. Damn. And then Arthur leaving and Uther just coming back at him with the guilt trip and being like, This is your fault if you had caught the sorcerer, none of this would be happening and Arthur just being like stopping for a second in in the doorway before leaving for good and you just as as the audience you just know how hard that hit Arthur in that moment because um he knows he's at fault even though not the same way that Uther thinks Arthur is at fault but
0: yeah. Arthur, at this point yeah he yeah. knows
1: yeah and uh, yeah Arthur knows it's it's because of him that this is happening and uh so this this really hits him which is why I think you know the the whole jibes with your father uh doing this doing that you being a disappointment to your father should have come after this because now it really would hit but then again chronologically it doesn't make sense because the scene with Uther only happens because Arthur failed the test so
0: yeah obviously. and also the only reason why the like why the line have you no pride hits home so much is because pride is the reason he's been told he failed the test in the first place like i don't yeah. think it would have yeah. hit yeah so it, yeah it, it kind of has to go that way i don't know yeah and then um, of course
1: then and then you have him being like I can't think of my pride when my people are starving. And and so he's already, like, coming to realize that his, that his pride doesn't mean or isn't as important as real-life
0: people and their suffering. Indeed. Again, this is just why I think this episode needed a, a lot of restructuring. Like, it should have begun with Arthur and Uther having an argument about something yes. unimportant. Yes. Yeah, just something yeah. stupid. Then gone into Arthur being goaded by maybe even one of his knights, or just a- anyone, um, uh, to then bring about some kind of curse. Maybe the person he killed was the son of a sorceress or something like that, you know, it, then it to bring about still, this curse.
1: Yeah, I mean, it still could have been connected to... They could have still connected it to the unicorn, just... Arthur, like, the 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 fight between Arthur and Uther could have been something about how Arthur, maybe Arthur did something to bring shame on Uther, or, like, perceived shame on Uther, like, he did something that made Uther feel ashamed of Arthur and his actions, I, something, you know, and then... After being like, ooh, if I slay this unicorn, then I can restore honor and glory to myself and to my father. And that would have been a selfish, prideful reason to kill the unicorn that is obvious to the audience as a uh, a prideful, selfish reason. And then the curse would be justified, you know, like... Yes. You you care more about your your personal image than like oh okay I I just keep going off I I probably uh yeah I just keep going off like the fight between Arthur and Uther at the beginning what if it had been about Arthur being kind to someone and and going against something Uther had ordered Mhm like Uther had ordered someone uh be put in the stocks and Arthur is like, no, look at the, look at them. They're already too weak to stand something where he works in defense of the people directly against Uther's orders in public. That brings about the fight. Then Arthur goes and kills the unicorn because he's like, well, I have to make up with my father. And so I'm going to kill this unicorn because this will restore glory and pride and honor. And then, then he gets then he gets cursed and it hits the people that he meant to defend in the first place but that he turned his back on then again mm-hmm. in, in favor of impressing his father. And then you have an explanation for why
0: um what was I going to say? About why it's like such a big deal that his father gets to him like him. Yes.
1: That, yeah, like in yes, the how how yeah, why his father gets him in his sets, and also it would mean so much more than in the in the scene with the low angle shot when
0: Arthur denies Uther's order again. Yeah, exactly. And I actually would add something to that. I would say that like they have a fight about something, and then Arthur has like. A responsibility that he's supposed to attend like a meeting or something like that or something important and instead he goes on the hunting trip to go and kill the unicorn on purpose mm-hmm. so that it's like eat, like yeah I really really like that and that would have just made the whole thing a lot better and you could have yeah. incorporated Uther into yeah. it more and, and- that would have padded
1: out the, the episode without inserting the red into it <laughs> <laughs> if you take out if you take out all the red scenes like including the red
0: stew oh but i love that. i know
1: i know the red stew is great but like apart it's from, so
0: long though apart yeah.
1: from the conversation no they don't even i mean they have a little bit of conversation about the whole fiasco in that scene but you could have fitted that somewhere else and uh just ah uh, that that would have been so much better honestly
0: do you see the suffering I have now doing a <laughs> film masters and watching my? Yes. All right. It's so annoying. Okay, let's move on to the to the next
1: scene. Um, I have here the one where Arthur regrets his choices. Oh yeah, right. I I remember writing that down because I was like, "Ooh, I wish I could have gone up there in the castle, but we weren't allowed
0: <laughs> that high up. We could have posed done mirthery shots there." I would like to make everyone aware that I now have a folder on my iPhone of promo shots that I want to recreate in pure form. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, at least you'll be prepared next time you go there. I have
0: lots. Yeah, yeah so there okay. we go.
1: <laughs> so the actual scene, the next thing we want to talk about is the one where Merlin meets Anhora. Yes. Because you have I notes.
0: Have, I, yeah, I've only got one note for this, and it's I trust Arthur with my life, and my note is gay. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's my note. (laughs) I mean, you're not wrong. (laughs) I'm very much right, in fact. (laughs) Uh,
1: Okay, and then the next one is the one where Arthur gets ready and writes out. And I have uh, only, I have two things about this. One is chainmail counts as a new outfit, so we're at eight outfits now. Uh, But this is also the... I think the last outfit of, of the episode, and I think so. um, and then that
0: labyrinth that Arthur goes to. Um, let's see. Oh, we... I oh I actually have just a tiny note before he rides out because I'm pretty sure that as we have those quick shots of him getting ready, Merlin ties a favor to his arm. Oh, does
1: he? Hang on, let me let me check because I'm I don't think you're right about that, but I'll. Well, he ties
0: something, and I and I choose to believe it's a favor.
1: All right. After, after the deliberation over Netflix and screencaps, Rox wants to believe that it is a favor, uh, a token that Merlin is tying to Arthur's elbow. I say, and I think I am right, <laughs> that it's literally <laughs> just him fastening the armor on Arthur's elbow like together. It's literally just a leather strap. That he's, that he's n- knotting up.
0: I mean, she's probably right, but I don't care. Yeah. Because it's like, <laughs> it's clearly a favor, a token, to send Arthur on his quest. And I choose to believe that this is the truth. So... So, um, anyway,
1: Arthur then rides out, and we see this enormous CGI labyrinth in the background. And... It's just in reality I mean I haven't been to the labyrinth that they used for for this, but I remember Diane telling us that the actual labyrinth where they shot this is actually tiny.
0: <laughs> I think that was aowen, wasn't it? uh, I th- she, I th- uh I th- she went to the labyrinth
1: yeah she she showed us pictures and then Diane was just in the back going like, yeah, it's tiny. oh I
0: okay think, <laughs> I think
1: i th- I think they agreed. That it's actually a super tiny labyrinth, and they yes. uh, make us believe that it's, like, enormous when it really is not.
0: <laughs> um, I, so, I love, like, now, you know, kind of, I like to look for little bits of, like, symbolism here and there. Like I said um, before, with the stairs that never meet, like, in... Fond, it kind of just made me think of like the whole two sides of the same coin and these shots of them wandering through the labyrinth side by side but never meeting uh it's just one of those things that I I like and you know if you kind of were to you know see the you know the symbolism of walking out into the into the bright light of the beach you know as kind of like the white light kind of thing you know they'll be finally together in death and all this kind of stuff it's like
1: there's also something to be said for Arthur trying to find his way in the labyrinth and Merlin just trying to find Arthur in the labyrinth oh because Arthur Arthur is not aware that Merlin followed him but Merlin is there just for Arthur so you're, you're welcome for that thought
0: Arthur is just living his life trying to deal with his own destiny and Merlin is only living for Arthur's destiny and I'm just like all of... and like the fact that you know this and like them meeting again like at the water and like Merlin is there waiting for him like Merlin's waiting on the beach for Arthur to come through to come through the labyrinth just like he is like at the end of the series waiting for him to come out of the water I'm just... Oh my god. <laughs> so much symbolism. I love it. Um, but we've named this scene the one with the CGI vines. What do you mean we? Hot, you named that scene. Hot damn. <laughs> those those vines. I mean, <laughs> have you ever seen anything like that since your PlayStation 2? <laughs> really? Uh, truly. Just, truly. It's, uh, yeah. Um, so I think we can probably now move into the one where everyone is very keen to die for one another or something like that. What did I actually name it? The
1: one where everyone is overly keen to die. Basically. Yeah. Everyone wants to die. And I'm I'm just I'm just reminded like you said that Merlin is just waiting for him at the beach. I'm like, okay, he is, but also he was like literally captured by Anhora and put there. Like, Merlin didn't have much choice in waiting there, which, I mean, I guess also works for canon overall. But um, I'm just, I'm reminded of the second task in Goblet of Fire from Harry Potter, when Harry must save what's most valuable to him. It's yes. it's a little bit like that with Arthur and Merlin in this episode. I like in, at least now at the end, where, like, uh, Merlin is Arthur's wheezy <laughs>
0: It's just it really is and my my overall meta about this scene is kind of linking back to what i said at the beginning with how maybe the destiny you know that l- l- entwines Merlin and arthur that leads them on their way in life um is kind of at work here because anhora i i believe him when he says he doesn't want that like the magic that is Bound to the unicorn is clearly more powerful than he is he's just the messenger right yeah he doesn't have yeah i believe him when he says he's upset about this and he desperately wants arthur to succeed he doesn't look smug or yeah. happy when these things are happening so when merlin goes to seek him out and says he will prove himself and he asks him you have faith in arthur and he pauses before he says he goes you have faith in arthur as if he wants to hear the right answer yes i do and Not only does he say yes, but he says, I trust him with my life. And he has this look on his face that is just like, you know, as if Arthur hung the moon, as he always does. And I wonder if in that moment, Anhora decided that Merlin would be Arthur's final test because he knew that that was the only way Arthur could win. Like, the only way he could beat the test was if he put Merlin in danger.
1: Yeah, probably. Which is
0: yeah kind of (laughs) smart just do that if you want Arthur (laughs) to do anything just put Merlin in danger (laughs) unless you want to (laughs) die that's also could happen but yeah I just feel like this like now in hindsight with the whole destiny thing it's just a really really great way of looking at it I like that you brought that up earlier on it's really great
1: I mean I also like that um um in that scene on Hora learned how much Merlin is willing to do for Arthur, and he's just testing whether Arthur is worth that, and if Arthur would go as far for someone, for someone else who is close to him in a sense, because Anhora has seen them only together the entire time, or Merlin by himself. Pledging his undying love for Arthur, basically. (laughs) And Hora is basically a shipper at this point. (laughs) And just like, Anhora must, like, Anhora now assumes that Merlin is someone who is valued by Arthur, or at least is loyal to Arthur, and he wants to see if Arthur deserves this specific loyalty, this specific devotion, if Arthur is in turn as loyal and devoted to his servant as his servant is to him. And Arthur passes with flying colors because he's Arthur.
0: Of course. And it's Merlin. (laughs) Um, So, I love the little acting choices that Bradley and Colin made in this scene. Specifically, that Merlin is quite, like, he's getting quite heated and he's, like, sighing and, and, you know, we need to figure this out, Arthur. And Arthur is in night mode. Like, he's in shutdown mode. He's, like, we need to determine which goblet contains the poison and then I'll drink it. This is my doing. I'm drinking it. He's very monotone. He's really just like to the point. Yeah. Soldier. It's really great. Like he's re- like he's he's shown up in chainmail. Like he thinks this is a fight and that's how he's approaching it. It's so great. Um and of course, you know, the, <laughs> the little like I don't know why they chose to do this, but they keep cutting back to Anhora as if we need to be reminded that he's standing there because all we see is just him kind of looking from one to the other as they're talking. It's like a tennis match. <laughs> as if he's, he's just like writing fan fiction in his head. <laughs> he's like, come on, you guys, work it out. I'm rooting for you. <laughs> he is. <laughs> Tell me otherwise. <laughs> um, So, Yeah. Again, this scene just doesn't make any sense. I had no idea you were so keen to die for me. Poison chalice anyone? Yeah. This just did the poison chalice not exist <laughs> in Merlin because no one seems to remember that it did, <laughs> like in any <laughs> sense of the word, not even Merlin and Gwen who kissed in the poison chalice can remember. Uh not even Uther who locked his son up for leaving without telling him he was leaving doesn't ooh, seem to remember. Ooh, ooh. sorry,
1: just uh, coming off of what I was saying earlier about Uther and the political climate surrounding Camelot, if this is pre-poisoned chalice, like, like it should be, you know, then that makes more sense. See, maybe in the aftermath of this episode he was like, okay, maybe I need to figure out alternative ways of feeding my people, like protecting my people if the country is plagued by a famine or something like that. Like, I need one ally outside of Camelot to you know, to work with if push comes to shove. Yeah. Yeah. So that so that totally
0: works. Let's put Poison Chalice behind Labyrinth of of then. I agree. I mean, Poison Chalice we will reorder these episodes, guys, I promise. <laughs> we'll get around to it. Season one is a mess. Yeah. Um, so uh I mean, I'm glad you're here, Merlin. Do we... I mean, just? <laughs> just <laughs> I Rock, like rocks is just full of fields. <laughs> the one in which rocks is full of fields. <laughs> yes. I, just... I mean, this is Arthur who has been a real dickhead the entire episode, who is still kind of a dick in season one, who doesn't really say nice things to Merlin at this point in the show. Not very often. Like, he's soft on occasion, um, but not like this. He's about to die. That's what he thinks. And in his last moments, he's choosing to say, I'm glad you're here. Basically, there's no one else I'd rather Be here helping me through this.
1: I mean, okay, sorry. To be fair, um, I mean, obviously, the shipper in me does see it this way, but if I were to take a bit more neutral look at it, he could just be glad that a friend is there, that he doesn't have to die alone. Like, I mean, oh, yeah, like, I, I don't, I mean, I think that. If it had been, for example, Morgana in Merlin's uh, Merlin's plays, I think he would have said something similar, where he's just like, um, you know, I'm glad I'm not alone. Or also that I'm glad that if I have to die for someone, it's someone I care about in some capacity. Yeah, you know, I mean, so obviously the shipper in us, the Mirtha shipper in us, goes like, Um, but. in general uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be just like he is the only person he would have wanted there
0: I mean I basically would argue that Armor and Merthyr are the same ship in season one so I agree (laughs) with that (laughs) they are basically the same people (laughs) I mean Katie and Colin even look the same they're both Irish as well so I'm pretty sure sure. hey have we ever seen them in the same place at the same time (laughs) Yes we have. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> I knew there was a plot hole somewhere. <laughs> um yeah, so I'm glad you're here, Merlin. And then Merlin figures out the the conundrum. And to his credit, I don't think I would have figured it out that quickly. Do you think you would have?
1: Um probably not. I'm
0: not I'm not that smart. Merlin's pretty smart. And Arthur seems impressed. You know? Yeah. You're a lot smarter than you look. And they have time for a little bit of banter. Before the inevitable. Now, for all you film lovers out there, uh, there's something in film that we call the 180 degree rule, which basically means that the camera should always stay on the same side of this line. And you can put the line wherever you want. So in this case, the line is drawn uh, uh, as in the line is drawn horizontally across Merlin and Arthur and the camera stays on that side of the line so when you're having your over the shoulder shots as well they stay on that side and when Arthur says look out they break the 180 degree rule and it's very jarring when you watch it and it's supposed to be because our eyes know even though they don't actually know that they know it the 180 degree rule and we're not and we're like oh why is the camera over there and it helps to shock us as well as shock Merlin into looking behind him and then Arthur grabbing the goblet. So I love, love that they did that. (laughs) I was like, oh my god, they broke the line. (laughs) I was so excited. And then the fact that Merlin just sits there and lets him Yes, Arthur
1: talks for like another minute and then just like, Merlin, in that time he could have gotten up and slapped the cup out of his hand. You could have actually used magic.
0: It's just... Yeah, I mean, he could have literally done a whole host of things (laughs) instead of just, like, this is where I feel the acting is just a bit melodramatic for my (laughs) liking. I prefer my acting a little more real than this. I do appreciate the whole, you know me, Merlin, I never listen to you, with, you know, but... It's Colin that disappoints me in this scene, actually. Not Pradley. Colin actually disappoints me quite a lot. And it's not necessarily, I don't know, it's the whole, what have you done? (laughs) And then, like, after Arthur falls to the ground, like, okay, look, I know that at the time, you know, this was early days, but we now, unfortunately, know what Merlin looks and sounds like. When he's holding Arthur's dead body in his hands, we know what anguish (laughs) that brought him. And to see him just kind of going, come on, come on. Like, as he's just (laughs) laying there, I'm like, is that how he would react? I don't know. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a bit, it falls a
1: bit flat, doesn't it?
0: A little bit. And I know they knew that he wasn't really dead, but still you should make me believe that he is. And I mean Mar- Mar- I Merlin
1: mean, in that moment believed Arthur is actually dead.
0: Yeah so, but, but like
1: the writers knew he wasn't dead. Yes, I mean, but so. like but Marlin
0: didn't <laughs> Merlin should should play it like that. Oh for sure. Yeah. So, um and yeah, the whole like please let me take his place, but again the line just doesn't land for me i'm like i don't feel any of this but i do like but the line itself makes me very very emotional like just the fact that the moment he's dead like all he wants like he does like he's just willing to die like that he's like please let me die instead i'm like merlin bb you are gone you're so gone for this man (laughs) and i just i love every bit of it um Yeah, and then obviously, Arthur was willing to sacrifice his life to save yours. He has proven what is truly in his heart. I mean, just... uh, I love it. (laughs) I love it so much. Uh, She just sits there while I'm crying on the other end of the mic, being like, so beautiful. And she's like, "Eh." (laughs) I I have...
1: I have learned to have chill about it. Like I still I still ship it a lot and these scenes do get me. It's just that I've reached a point where I'm I'm okay with that. (laughs) Like I don't I don't fall to pieces every time they do something cute and shippy.
0: I do. (laughs) That's good. I I envy that a little bit. I think what it is, um, is that I think we sometimes because we hear or like we know these scenes. So, well. I mean, I do because I'm a vidder, but I'm sure the majority of the fandom know at least the Murtha scenes pretty well. And I think that it's not until you kind of sit and watch it and closely watch stuff that you kind of get reignited with this kind of thing, because either you knew the quotes and you haven't actually kind of watched them for a while or you've not watched it in context, you know, I just think sometimes just sitting and watching something again, you notice little things like, for example, in all the years I've watched this, I never noticed that it could have been a favor (laughs) that was tied to Arthur's arm. And I was like, oh, my God, is that a favor? And it just makes you like, oh, like it's the little tiny things that you don't really notice. But I guess because I'm very, very much invested in the small stuff, uh, that's kind of why I get like that. But even the big epic scenes for me, I feel like, um, I just have a, a new appreciation for them when I watch them in context of episodes that have come before or after them. And yeah, like when it's just kind of in fandom and I see gift sets and stuff, I'm not always that like fussed about it but there are times like and I think when I'm talking about it it's even better like when you're discussing something with people that shit the same thing and you're just kind of like and when they said this and it's infectious I think that's what it is yeah like when I'm sitting at home on my own I'm not like thinking about you know the way they said that line but when I'm talking about it on my listen I'm like oh it's just so beautiful <laughs> So yeah, that's kind of my thing but I'm gonna make Momo giddy too I promise <laughs> <laughs> Challenge
1: accepted. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so shall we move on to to the last scene? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, mean, I there... don't actually have any notes, but you yeah. might do. I mean, there's just... Technically, there's one scene before the last scene. The the second-to-last scene is Merlin and Arthur walking back onto the, the grounds of Camelot Castle, not quite hand-in-hand, but as close as, probably. Oh! <laughs> see? see? <laughs> I, I'm making you go... Ugh! <laughs> So thank <laughs> you and uh Uther welcoming them back and being proud of Arthur again and Arthur being like yes I did it but also Arthur being like there's one more thing I have to do and then um this then the it's the last scene which Rox calls the one where Merlin is denied by the unicorn I would already disagree on this title um but let's uh get, denied. Let's, let's get to that in a second um <laughs> So, what I like about this very last scene is that Arthur makes amends and apologizes to the dead unicorn. Like, at this point, this is not something he has to do because he has already now proven himself. The kingdom is back to its former uh, glory and prosperity. Everything is fine. Arthur is redeemed already in the eyes of Anhora and the unicorns. And still, Arthur feels it necessary for himself as closure, but also... Just to make amends like more amends to the unicorn to take the horn into the woods where he killed the unicorn in the first place, and then sort of give it a burial place, and just he kneels down on the ground, places the places the the horn there, and apologizes to the dead unicorn, and says that he was wrong for killing it, and that's what brings the unicorn. I mean, I think we are meant to believe that it brings the unicorn back to life, or that another unicorn decides to show itself in in response to that. I I mean, I always saw it as the unicorn comes back
0: to life, but I don't know if that he he does because Anhora has a voiceover that says when when one oh, who right. kills a unicorn proves himself yeah. pure of heart, the unicorn will live again. Okay, so yes. I think the horn yeah, didn't okay. actually do anything. Okay. Yeah, it was just a night. It, in, like, it, it yeah. was the it was
1: Arthur proving himself and probably also apologizing and then and then we see the unicorn and honestly I think this is literally the same shot of the unicorn as from the beginning yes.
0: <laughs> it is literally
1: the same one isn't it it's just yeah it's. I'm just looking at it now and like the the way it stands there on like a little bit of a slope it's just it's literally the same shot as in the beginning um, at least for part of it and then I think what you mean by Merlin is denied is the unicorn turns away and, and walks off, right? That's...
0: Denied.
1: <laughs> like, see, I, I I see this more as a... um Not not as a denier, but, like, the unicorn showed itself to them as a... Like, just as a sign, like, I heard your apology, I accept it, thank you for bringing me back to life, basically. Thanks for Yeah, I know, I know. And then just, Decides to leave because, you know, this dude killed it (laughs) a week ago, (laughs) you know, and, and just, I'm not gonna stick around for that because I have better shit to do now (laughs) that I'm back alive,
0: so. have to go and look enchanting somewhere.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I have to... (laughs) I have probably find a different forest to live in now. <laughs>
0: I'm going to go find a real
1: estate agent.
0: <laughs> <No>.
1: Jesus Christ. <laughs> or maybe just goes to find the other unicorns. I don't know.
0: Um, um I don't know, but I mean, like, I'm just kind of kidding. But I remember there was a post going around in the fandom at the time when I joined fandom that was like, listen, you guys know that there's a legend about, you know, only a certain kind of person being able to come up to unicorn, right? Well, I'm just going to say this, with no context attached, that in the first scene, Merlin walks up to the unicorn. And in the last scene, the unicorn stays well clear of Merlin. <laughs> and so that was kind of, you know, yeah. I'm just, I, I also just repeated those words with no context given to um merlin's dessert preferences <laughs> at <laughs> all okay guys well it's been so uh, amazing to uh be, t- to be well not speaking to you directly but speaking to you you know in the future and we hope that you will comment on this episode and you know all of the little things that we picked up on because i really enjoy this episode i think it's really great and um yeah so hopefully you will agree with us and in the meantime i have been miss snow fox and i've been Tastic. And we'll speak to you soon. Bye. Bye.